want to start your own podcast about sports or whatever? Great. Unsure how to get started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. Podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy. And myself and thousands of other podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome looking website. Plus your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and all other platforms. You'll also get ways to promote the show, detailed analytics and stats, and a whole lot more. But that's not all. If you signed up with a paid plan for Buzzsprout, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. And it would also help support this show. It's easy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your own today. Do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Terminal City FC Podcast, talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 47 of the Terminal City FC Podcast. Josh Ray, joined by Nathan Durek as per usual. Got a lot of stuff to cover, but we're talking about the Vancouver Whitecaps first. And the Vancouver Whitecaps playoff hopes on thin ice. Uh, yeah, it's to- definitely not the game that you were wanting to happen, especially losing 2 nothing to a team like San Jose, you know, a team that pretty much already is eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, these are the sort of games they have to win, and now the Whitecaps... I don't know. In my mind, they have to rely too heavily on other teams to give them favors. Yeah, and to be fair, it looks very unrealistic now. It would take more than a miracle to happen. 2 nothing loss to the San Jose Earthquakes down in San Jose. To the Whitecaps credit, it was a much better effort than the Nashville game. But same old mistakes. Kind of started off slow. Gave up an early goal. The defending on both goals were poor and all the shots they either took either missed the net or went straight at JT Mark Markowski. Well you're not going to put many balls in front of the, in, in, in uh, into the net if you're shooting straight at the goalkeeper that's for sure. Yeah or shooting it over the net. Yeah. Or wide. Brian White had the best chance to make it a game early in the second half but he shot it wide. Now last year's Brian White would have scored that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, This is one of those really, really odd games. Because if you take a look at any of the stats, I mean, shots, shots on target, possession, passing, the Whitecaps dominated in all of these. And this is not something that they're known to do. Whitecaps are not a possession-based team. They're they're not a team that outpasses another team. This is not nope. something that you'd expect from them. So it, it shows you that while they, it was just an unlucky game almost. Yeah, it was... It- kind of felt like that and it was just like they were moving the ball but they weren't creating anything and when they tried it just went straight at the goalie or wide the net and it just at times felt like they've given up but at times they looked like they were still in it and I know it's hard to, to give a full effort for 90 minutes but against a team like San Jose this, this shouldn't happen. No, and the problem is they've now put themselves in a pretty precarious position. Uh, they are eight points out of the playoff spot. 
and there's not a, not that many games to even try to get back in there. I mean, in terms of uh, matches played, they don't have or teams don't have games on hand against them like they had maybe a week or two ago. But yeah, I'd I don't know. I think I called it last week where I said that it's it's just too far away if they keep losing these games. And you got to find ways to win the games, even the ones that are dirty. And they're just not doing it right now. No, not at all. And a lot of the stuff that plagued them throughout the season just were on display in that game. Like that first goal, uh, that 18-year-old Kate Caldwell just made he just made like Javain Brown look so so silly. Silly like Brown just spun around trying to tackle Kate Cowell. And then Ibobisi scored, like he always seems to score against against the Whitecaps. I guess this, this is like his second or third goal against them this season. And just 34, 35 minutes in, they were down 2 nothing, And it took that for them to really wake up. But again, it wasn't enough. No, and unfortunately, they've uh, kind of shot themselves in the foot for the next game with Ryan Gold uh, picking up uh, yet another yellow, which puts him on suspension for yellow card accumulation. Uh, yep. Next game will be without both Gold and Cavallini. Yep, in Colorado this Saturday, no Gold, no Cavallini. Those are the Whitecaps' leading goal scorers. So, tough luck for, I mean, not tough luck, but um, that's the way she goes for the Whitecaps. And five games left, three at home, two on the road. It's um, getting... Uh, it's 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 dire times, and as likely as it is, I'm sure this team won't go, go down like with a whimper. They'll they'll try to go down fighting, but well, it, it's going to be too little and too late. It is, and I mean, I think you can even hear it in our voices, right? I mean, there's like th- that optimism that existed kind of in the middle part of the season. It's been gone for quite a while. And there's been, you know, a few of us that are just been kind of hoping and holding on and, and, you know, really, really knowing that they have the capacity to get back to how they were playing, especially with having the majority of their players relatively healthy compared to the very beginning of the season. But I don't know. There's, there's something going on with this team right now. And it seems that that fight that existed, that fight right to the very last whistle is non-existence yet again. Yeah. Again, Vanny Sartini after the Nashville game talked about pride. And this time around, he didn't really mention anything other than pride. And he just said they don't need belief to make the playoffs. They need to believe one game at a time. And he was fine with the performance. Yeah, I think most people were relative. Like they understand that the performance. If you look at just the performance and not not how it fits within the whole season, the performance was fine. It was a decent uh, showing by the players. Uh, it's an away game. Away games are always tough, and it, you you feel kind of just stung a little bit in the fact that you didn't co- come away with the draw or any any sort of points. But when you kind of take a look at the larger picture of past couple of months or the past entire season and you're starting to see that no matter what happens there is there is something that is affecting the overall play even when they play relatively well either the final third or the very or the back line there's always some little issue in there that allows teams to squeak through yeah and in this game it was the final third and the back line on the two goals like one little mistake on the back line is costly, and in the final third, they can't get the ball down properly for the final pass, or the defender just takes it away easily. And Russell Tybert, he mentioned that the pride's on the line, they represent Vancouver and the soccer club. Like, like, the guys care. Of course they care. They want to make the fans proud. And he said he gar- he guarantees from the until the final whistle, they'll give it give it their all i mean it's it's great to hear that but it's not yeah, great to hear that but before it's it, it's going to be like anything else when you when it comes to sports in north america and it's, it's the it's the age-old saying of what have you done for me lately and lately there hasn't been a lot being done yeah like it's all talk no no do yeah now the thing is is there's also talk going on the on the fan side 
And one of the big conversations that's been going on in the past week is how thin is the ice under Vanny Sartini? It's thin. I mean, like I said a few weeks ago, that I don't think he gets he gets the boot, and I'll probably stick with the same thing. But now I'm not too sure. Like, so Axel Schuster, he gave Vanny the contract extension, made him the head coach at the end of last season because they did well under him. Yeah, and it's kind of tough. You can't really go anywhere else, especially with how good he did. And the thing is, is if you look at Vanny's overall record, he has the highest win percentage out of any Whitecaps coach. Yeah, more than Carl Robertson. Yep. So, I would be open for a coaching change, but who's going to replace him? And Whitecaps Twitter is going to say, oh, we need an experienced tactical coach who's out there. That's know. just it. I don't know. I don't know where you look inside MLS, I, unless you start looking el- elsewhere and uh, maybe looking at, say, you know, the uh, NASL or the uh, sorry, not the NASL, the uh, the the uh, was it USL? Yeah, USL. Um, I mean, there are coaches in that level that are really, really good and have done really well. I mean, we can take a look at what Sacramento is doing right now, uh, heading into the U.S. Open Cup and things like that, but. I can't see a change happening at least until the off season. And even then I do wonder if they give Sartini just enough leeway to say, you've got four or five games in the next season to show me what you can do. And then if that's it, that's it. Yeah. And people say, Oh, some people say, why can't we go, go find a coach in Europe? Like, but who's going to come here? That would be a very tough sell. I mean, was Houston had a, Oh, who was it? Owen. Not Paulo Nagamora. He got the boot after not even a year. Yeah, there too, right? So, I don't know. I When, when I you're uh, just yeah. to MLS, I mean, MLS is a different beast, right? You can't play to the tactical proficiency level that you want. And on top of that, it's a lot more physical than a lot of European leagues out there as well, right? So, you have to deal with that. That's true. And, uh, like... My, I said this before that next year should be the make or break year for Vanny Sartini because this is, this is his first year. It was a sh- kind of like a show me year. But if they do give him the boot, whether that's when they get eliminated or at the end of the season, again, I'm not sure who replaces him. And in it, I think if Vanny wants to stay, he should really change things up tactically, like get rid of the back three next season. Yeah, I think that they need to go almost back to basics, even if it, that is just a very... Because he always talks about structure and stability. You go back to a four four two, right? You're playing with very defined lines. It's, I mean, it's tried and true for... It's not the most exciting football, but it's tried and true, and it will allow you to slowly build from there. Because right now, it's... You're dealing with players that you're trying to be you're you're trying to make them become so versatile and while they can sometimes adopt different roles that's not their natural fit yeah that's true like you got remember you put Javane brown as a wing back yeah well even uh alessandro shop ever since he's come in here he's been he playing as a number uh, 10 yeah and he's not he's a number like eight slash six yeah i mean he's done he's done a job He's done a job like every other player, but that's not his natural fit, right? That's not. And he what needs time to adjust. For. Yeah, he does. So, I like. I don't know. I don't know if he. He. If you asked me like two weeks ago, he's not getting the boot. Now, the more I think about it, I can't say. Like I, I don't know what Axel Schuster is gonna do. Is he going to go out and eat Uber Eats burgers at 2 a.m. just like <laughs> what he did at the Pacific game and make his decision? I don't know. So, I mean, I, I like Vanny as a per. I like Vanny as a person. Like it's, he's, I like Vanny as a person, too. He's a fun he's... guy to interact with, like on the Zoom calls and the press conferences. Like, making small talk with him at training, it's been fun. It's but... not only that, but he's, he's relatively honest. Uh, yeah. more so than another coach would be about what's going on with the team, right? Like he doesn't betray state secrets or anything like that, but he gives you a fairly accurate picture that you might not get from someone else in that chair. I He's got the job until the end of the season. That's a guarantee. I, I can't see them doing anything in five games here. That It would be 
you'd be shaking your head at what the point. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? In the off season, I can see them either making the change or having someone lined up so that they can pull the trigger when they do make the change next year. Right. But this off season is going to be more about just getting players. It's going to be looking at coaching as well. Right. And I'm already looking ahead to next year because, like, the Whitecaps have holes that just played them. Goalkeeping is one. No yep. disres- again, no disrespect to Hassel and Cropper. They've done well with what they've been given, but they're not, you know, elite or very good as Cropo was. Well, it's also because well, Cropo. I mean, Cropo when he was here last year, he faced more shots than any other goalkeeper in the league. He was absolutely peppered, and the thing is, is he would come up, he would steal games. And yeah. he would steal points, like whether it's a draw or a win, right? Hassal and Cropper haven't done that. You're not going to get a steal, right? Cropper will make absolutely mind-blowing world-class saves. But then let in the softest goal. And then he'll let the one that's moving in at like, you know, two meters an hour goes in, right? Right. So, also, what's going to happen with Lucas Cavallini? And I believe his suspension will factor and play on the decision. Will they exercise the option? Or will they open up a DP spot and find a pacey striker? If they open up a DP spot, I expect Schuster to really use his contacts in Germany. Yeah, I believe that's where they'll go. Right? If they open up a DP spot. I think this is going to be him wanting to make a bit of a stamp on the team. He's already done that with Ryan Gold, but Gold was someone that they'd already been looking at for about a year previously. I mean, it takes a while. He's done that with Kubas. The only DP he hasn't been involved with was Cavallini. Cavallini, and that was so, before. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if this is used as the reason for Cavallini to say thanks but no thanks, especially since Cavallini's got a contract that was just difficult to trade, right? Right. He wasn't going to go anywhere while he was on contract. Now that his contract will be done at the end of the season, all they do is they don't exercise the option, and he's free to go wherever he wants. Yeah, and they also need a proper left back. They do. And maybe maybe more than one. I mean, Luis Martinez barely plays. I mean, he's not a guaranteed starter. I still always wonder about uh, Christian Gutierrez. I mean, I know that I mean, Gutierrez is on his way out, but I feel like he just yeah, injuries hurt him, and then he was never just given a shake, right? I mean, yeah. and I mean to to Ryan Raposo's credit, Raposo was able to jump in and take that spot because Raposo wasn't even a guarantee at the at the beginning of the season. A lot of people thought that he might even be heading out on loan, but he has shown himself to be a fairly reliable squad player. Again, I would want someone in there that is someone that I, I view as a starter, like Gressel on the other side. Yeah, but where are you going to find a left back that's the equivalent to Julian Gressel? Maybe there's someone the out there. <laughs> Maybe there's someone out there. Maybe, like, you know, the Whitecaps find guys who are do who do really well on relegated teams. They do. The one thing is, I mean, a lot of what people hold against Axel Schuster is when he said he wants to be like, you know, uh, Athletic Bilbao in in Spain, right? He wants a team of all Canadian players. I think that's a great idea. I think it's unrealistic. I think he needs to start looking at the Whitecaps as a Major League Soccer team and not a Canadian team in Major League Soccer. So I hope that he does look with a global reach and not just kind of try to find that one player within Canada that could fit the bill. Yeah, and to his credit... He's done that so far. He has done that, but I find people try to hold him to a different standard that I don't think. I, th- I think he, you know, he kind of dug his own grave by saying a not so smart comment early in his uh, in his reign. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping that people kind of just you know let let that kind of go a little bit. Yeah, maybe he's learned since then. Yeah, because he's signed guys from Europe, hidden gems. I like as I like to call them. Yep. Like Gold, Kubis, Schaff. Well, Schaff was the guy I've heard of before because when they signed him, I was like, oh, wait, this guy sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, he played for Schalke. Yeah. But you know Kubis, we're going to have a lot. Uh, there's going to be a lot of dissecting of the team, especially at the end of the season. What yeah, we'll have a whole podcast dedicated yeah, to that. Yeah, what's going to go we'll have on. Some articles dedicated to that, too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is when if these conversations are starting now and you still have five games left in the season, that's a problem. Yeah, 
And so. like we're talking about like the White Cats need defenders, another striker, goalkeeper. Also need a maybe a couple more center backs. And what are they gonna do with uh, is Derek Cornelius gonna want to come back from his loan? I don't know. I if I'm Cornelius, I want to stay where I am in Greece. Yeah, but if he does come back, great. But yeah, if he doesn't. If he comes back, well, great. I hope he does. And if he doesn't, well, find someone else. But it's gonna be tough. Yeah. So we the White Cats do have Colorado Rapids next, and the last time they played wasn't too long ago. Ryan Gall brace in a two one win at BC Place, but this one time it will be at I believe it's called Dick Sporting Goods Park. Ho 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 Dick. Yeah, but you, if you remember that Colorado game, that was another one of those games where Ryan Gull basically picked up the team and put him on his back, right? So, I feel like he's done that like the second half of the season. He's, he's done, done that. that in more than a few games. This one in particular with that brace, I do remember. So, and again, we talk about uh, needing players in, in other positions on the pitch, right? We need that secondary support for, you know, your, your pivot man. But I don't know. Here's hoping. It's an away game. Away games uh, aren't always uh, the friendliest. Yeah, they're not the friendliest at all. And the Whitecaps only won twice on the road this season, which is just poor. And I believe they have if one of, if not the worst road record in MLS. Yeah, it's getting there. And Colorado's on a, a team that's been on a slide. And they haven't won since August 6th. They're actually just behind the Whitecaps right now by a couple of points. Yeah, their last game was a nil-nil draw in D.C. against the worst team in MLS, D.C. United. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're a team that's kind of sitting in a similar situation as the Whitecaps that had, you know, a very nice run in the middle of the season and then have just kind of lost their form. And, I, I mean, I, you, you get to this point of the season and, and, you know, the table is spreading out. You're starting to see that. But Whitecaps... There's only five points that separates them from the very bottom of the Western Conference. I mean, this it it kind it's kind of funny, especially after the last couple of months that we've had. But this could get worse. Yeah. Especially if they keep losing, losing in, and if they get, lose to Colorado, it'll get worse. And by the way, this Colorado team lost to Philadelphia Union six nothing on August twenty seventh. Yeah. I mean, they, the what? Union are a good team, so. The Union are a great team. They're they've always been a very a positive team, and yeah, it's, that's that's going to be tough no matter when you play them. Yeah, and you know what's bizarre to think about? I'm not sure if this has happened in MLS at all. But correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks very likely that none of the Cascadia teams make the playoffs this year. I know Portland has the final spot, but LA Galaxy are just right behind them. Yeah, I. You know what? In my mind, it hasn't happened before. But uh, I mean, I stand to be corrected, just uh, yeah. just like you. Um, I think Portland will do it. Yeah, I don't they're know likely to do the it. LA Galaxy. It's getting uh, it's getting a little bit tight. Uh, the one thing that Galaxy has is they they've got two games in hand on Portland, so they can use that to their benefit. Yeah, and remember, look at Chicharito's penalty. Like he tried the Panenka, like. And it just failed. I don't know that the whole weird flop that he had a couple of weeks ago. I, I don't know about Chicharito. I think he's hanging around for uh, the World Cup, hoping he gets picked by Mexico, and then that's it. Yeah, I mean Seattle's not that far behind LA too, and just two points ahead of the Whitecaps. But Seattle's had a tough year. Seattle's had a very tough year. Uh, I mean, they won I, the, the Concacaf Champions League, which, by the way, the Whitecaps will be participating in next year. They will. Hopefully they uh, get a team that can participate. Yeah, and as I read and wrote in Avid Thoughts, it starts with the, with the knockout stages in February, which is like a couple weeks before MLS season. Yeah. No, I don't think they'll win it all, but we want, we'd like to see a run. Well, that's just it. I mean, if the Whitecaps are going to be there, you want to see them qualify out of the group stage. You want to see them be able to do something. Um, well, the group stage doesn't exist anymore, apparently. Oh. It's just knockouts. Just knockouts, gotcha. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, so Colorado Rapids next for the Whitecaps. Five games left, and a lot of fans have tuned out. And I can't blame them because team, the expectation was playoffs, and for the fourth time in five seasons, it looks like they're going to miss. Oh, and by the way, they have made the playoffs in consecutive seasons. I was wrong about that last week. 2014 oh, and 2015. All right. 
on some other, I guess, somewhat better news, uh, Whitecaps 2 player Jay Herdman has been called up for the under-20 team uh, with New Zealand for the upcoming uh, FIFA U-20 World Cup qualifying. He's got a couple of matches coming up uh, with that. So, uh, yeah, John Herdman's son is going to be uh, joining up with uh, his team in New Zealand. Yeah. And from what I've seen, heard that he's done pretty good with Whitecaps SC2. Yep, he's got, I think he's had almost 10 starts this year, about uh, 17 or 18 uh, times on the pitch. He's, uh, yeah, he's done, uh, he's done well for himself. He hasn't really been in the conversation for the top team yet. And New Zealand is a team that, I mean, when they're trying to pick players from around the world, they have obviously a much smaller pool to choose from uh, population wise. But uh, yeah, it's good for the young player. And uh, hopefully it uh, gives him some international experience and he comes back and is able to contribute more for uh, his domestic side. Yeah, good for him. Good, hopefully good for his development. And only 18 years old, and hope he plays even better with Whitecaps SC2 next year. Absolutely. So we also um, have some, like it disconnects the Canada national team, but some darker news. Bob Barada, who we spoke about, he has apologized for sexually assaulting four players during his time with the Whitecaps and Canadian programs. We've talked about the club's handling of the situation last week. But Berarda himself has apologized, and he is giving a court going to be given a. He gave it during a court appearance in North Vancouver on the second. Yeah, so he's actually now been found guilty of the charges that were uh, laid against him. Sentencing is set for September 9th. That's in two days. The apology, I don't know. It's, too little, too late. Too little. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously. But it it does it, it smells of someone trying to hope that he gets a lesser sentence. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And he, now, what right he said now, was, "I'm truly sorry to each of you for the pain, upset, and trauma I've caused you." Yeah, I, I mean, it was very short. Uh, it was, I guess, you know, to the point, but. I, if someone was looking for an apology, there you have it. I'm not too sure what that'll do. In terms of sentencing right now, uh, the Crown is advocating for a sentence of two years, less a day, in jail. Defense is saying that, uh, you know, there's mitigating factors. They're pointing to the, uh, the apology as one of those mitigating factors. They're pointing to his lack of a prior criminal record. They're saying that it should only be about an eight-month jail term. And then four months of house arrest. But yeah, we're waiting to see. But even still, I mean, two years in jail. I mean, it just, I don't know. That seems Feels small. It seems lenient. And if that's the maximum of what they're asking for right now, I don't know. But then again, I'm not a legal expert. I don't know. Me neither. I don't know what is right or wrong in this situation. I mean, we both took law in journalism school. Yeah. And we got to learn from the great Kim Bolin. So that was, that was a great class. But we're go. still not legal experts. So... I just feel it's like that old song that it's too late to apologize. That's what I feel like here from Berarda's apology. It's one of those ones where with this kind of crime, I don't know what an apology does except try to make that individual feel better. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't change big, what happened. It's the fact of like if you're apologizing, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah. And this, I, damage has been done a long time ago. So I. I mean, yeah, two years feels very light, and we'll see how the, this goes, and of course, how the Whitecaps handle the executives on leave, which decision still has to be made. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you also uh, found that the U.S. Soccer has signed uh, their equal payment agreements. Yeah, this happened, I believe, yesterday. Yeah, it did. For they, the U.S. Soccer players formally signed a equal pay agreement. And this has been going on for years, and Federation in May announced that it had struck separate agreements with the player unions on contracts that run to 2028. The new contracts include identical pay structures for appearances, tournament victories, revenue sharing, and equitable distribution of World Cup prize money. And it was held before the women's friendly match, the signing ceremony by the way, at Audi Field in Washington, D.C. And the U.S. women's 
team and their fans have been fighting for this for years, with especially with the equal pay chance, and they've got it. Yeah. Uh, this is something that was kind of agreed on in principle earlier in the year. Uh, the signing right now, I guess, makes sense. It's before the Men's World Cup is starting here in a few months. So with the pay structures that are involved in there, I mean, any sort of money that uh, the men's players get, that'll be part of this deal. Yeah. And Canada Soccer, take note. Because yeah. that's what Canada Soccer wants. To, uh, what the Canadian players want as well. But they still got a long way to go. They do, unfortunately. Good for the U.S. soccer teams. So we'll also move over to Europe. Some big news for Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel has been sacked. It was announced around 3 a.m. our time. Or 2 a.m. So it would be like noon, 1 1 p.m. London time. And my first reaction is, wow. I didn't expect it to be this early. If anything, I thought Bowley would give Tuchel more time until another couple weeks, maybe a couple months. And if you told me a few weeks ago that Tuchel would be the second manager to be sacked this season after Scott Parker, I'd be very surprised. It's interesting the timing of this as well because, oh, for a number of months. One, it's so early in into the reign of the new owners of the club and the the general consensus of what I've been reading out there. It just, people are very confused by this because they don't know who you're going to get. That's on par with Tuchel. The other one yeah. that really, really surprises me is the fact that they just signed Aubameyang. Yes. And Aubameyang's and they- reasoning for coming to Chelsea was Tuchel. He said it publicly. So yeah. you've given him what a game, a game. That's it. That's so it. I it I don't know if I'm if I'm a Bamiang I I think I've been sold on a false promise. Yeah, if I'm Bamiang, I'm going back to Barcelona to play with, yeah. to learn under Xavi. So, according to uh, Matt Law of the Telegraph, the Guardian, whatever, Tuchel sacking is not barely placed on results or Chelsea sports start to the season. Concerns have been growing over whether he was the right man to lead the club in the new era. His future was in doubt: win, loss, or draw in Zagreb. He also says the atmosphere at Chelsea's training ground has been described as tense. A group of players felt like they'd be treated unfairly. I think I could put a finger on who. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, is this with Tuchel, this was going on right during the uh, the preseason. He was calling out players left, right, and center during the, the friendlies that they were playing in the United States. So this isn't just what's been going on in the league. This no, feeling this is going on for what's going on in the club has been going on since the summer. Yeah, and Matt Law also says the Chelsea owners wanted to be clear that the next head coach will be somebody who is invested in their project and the players expect to be in charge for many years. And that guy looks to be Brighton head coach Graham Potter, as they apparently are talking, according to various insiders, about a contract. And apparently, Bully wants Potter to be coach long-term. So no. it's interesting when you look at Potter with the other names that are also being thrown around. You've got uh, Mauricio Pacchano. You've got. No, I don't want him. You've got Zinedine Zidane. Ah, got, very unlikely. You've got Brendan Rodgers. Maybe. And there's two other names that are that have been thrown around. Uh, apparently, uh, the Athletic is uh, saying that Musa Sissoko, former Tottenham player, is uh, a candidate. Which for me, that's completely out of left field. And the other one is Chelsea's women's manager Emma Hayes, Emma Hayes. who has been uh, who has done very well with the Chelsea's team, and has been talked about even before uh, when they were looking at signing Tuchel the first time. Yeah, but Potter looks to be the guy. Potter looks and... to be the guy. Brighton has already given permission for the talks to happen, and when you look at how Graham Potter plays, he is a versatile tactical versatile manager. Tactical that is quick to change if he feels it is necessary, he's also attacking, which, I yeah. mean, it's pretty crazy doing that with Brighton, but Brighton finished ninth last year. I mean, he did a lot with the small team. Yeah. And Tuchel's fault, apparently this also got him sacked at PSG, was his attack. It looked poor. Yeah. And the last time Chelsea had an attacking manager was Maurizio Sarri for one season. And he had his ups and downs. But he had a man named Eden Hazard leading the attack. So, but there's no Eden Hazard this time around. The closest thing they have is Raheem Sterling. 
And apparently Potter likes to do a 3-5-2, but he likes to change things up, as you said. So Potter is a guy, apparently, according to BBC Sport last year, he was like a manager on the rise, and he looked to be a future England manager. He has been uh, tapped for England uh, early on. Uh, I think that would be definitely a ways down his career. The one thing with Potter, and this goes with any British manager, if they decide to bring in a British manager, is he is going to have a spotlight shone on him right from the very first day. Right. Because historically, you get these very, these quote-unquote big teams, they don't look at domestic managers. No, the last time Chelsea had a domestic manager was Frank Lampard. And he got the spotlight because he was Frank Lampard. Yeah. So, So looking at the other names... Is Potter, I mean, yes, Potter they're looking at, but if you look at all the names that have been talked about, who would be your choice? Not Potter. Or is there someone else that hasn't even been mentioned? Jeez. Uh, I mean, this, the news came so slowly, I didn't have time, so quickly, rather, I didn't have time to process <laughs> it. So it looks like Potter would be my choice because of his attacking. Zidane just feels so unrealistic because I just don't see him managing in England. And apparently the reasons why he turned down Manchester United, because his wife didn't want to live in England. Oh, really? I thought he turned down Manchester United just because he doesn't want to manage Manchester United. I guess that was also the reason, but his first reason was his, his wife didn't want to live in England. Yeah. So, fair play to Mrs. Dan. Pochettino, I don't want to hire a career bottler. So, t- there's been too many bottling at this club already. That'll just make it worse. And I, I just don't like the job he did with PSG. Speaking of PSG, um, when Tuchel was there, when he got fired, his attack, as I mentioned, it was his, it was his fall. Especially he had Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, and their yeah. attack couldn't get going. So that goes to show. And, and Tuchel's credit, he was willing to change things up. He switched to a back four. He was trying to make the attack work, but it wasn't enough. And I'm just reading here. That Sky Sports has said they considered the decision to attack Tuchel for quite some time now. New owners have been concerned for a while and want a long-term appointment, so that looks like that'll be Potter. And here's what Matt Law also said. Todd Bowley's interest in signing Cristiano Ronaldo provided an early difference of opinion, but Bowley reluctant to sign him to take a simple no for his answer from Tuchel, who seemed expirated at having to explain his reasons for not wanting him. So Wait, who did, who did not want him? Tuchel did not want Cristiano Ronaldo, and Bowley did. Oh, wow. I, I and Bowley was willing to, to to do whatever Tuchel says. So I guess that's what, what the straw that broke the camel's back. That makes me question Bowley right now. Yeah, no, Bowley wanted... I mean, he said he would back the manager, but he wanted Cristiano Ronaldo. Why? I mean, Bowley likes to sign superstars. Like, look at the Dodgers. They signed Mookie Betts. Yeah, uh, they traded for Mookie Betts, for example. Signed Manny Machado all those years ago and all these other baseball players. In baseball, that works. In, but in soccer? When when you have to rely on everyone else on the pitch as play is moving much more fluidly, I don't know. I know. Like, I guess Bully's mentality was like, oh, man, my Dodgers signed Freddie Freeman. Why can't we sign Cristiano Ronaldo? I guess. But... For Tuchel's credit, I mean, it wouldn't have worked, to be honest. But remember, um, people are saying, oh, Tuchel ruined strikers. Look what he did to Lukaku. Well, Lukaku had his attitude problems, and it was kind of on Tuchel, too. Look what he did to Timo Werner. Well, Timo Werner just was pretty unlucky. Yeah. And he was poor under Lampard, too. The thing is, is Thomas Tuchel is a manager with an ego, and it, that can clash with other players that have egos. It... Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like egos himself. No, but he, the thing is, is I, I don't even know if he's one to admit this to himself, but he has one. And yeah, just you, you get big, big names in there and they'll clash with him. Yeah, that's why I was against signing Ronaldo. Like he'd, he'd be clashing with Mason Mount and Reese James and all that. And the positives for Tuchel's career, he brought Chelsea their second Champions League title. The... Club World Cup, the Super Cup. Fans called him Deutscher Maestro with that banner at the end of last season. People loved him. He 
he made Chelsea a win a, a team. He took them to glory, and I thought that he would be the first manager since Antonio Conte to bring the Premier League title back to Stamford Bridge. But no, unfortunately, that if they were if they were looking at this so hard in the summer, I just why did they just not do it in the summer? It'd be bad PR, like. But this is bad PR. Yeah, that would be even worse PR. I think as new owners, you can get away with it because you're building your own regime. This just yeah. looks like you're head you you're hesitating. And I mean, Tuchel did love the club. Remember, he said during the sanctions that he'd be willing to drive the bus to Lille. So, I mean, he's the managerial carousel continues at Chelsea. You killed the men, Roman Abramovich, but not the idea, Todd Bowles. Yeah, I guess so, right? I mean, Tuchel has beaten top managers with Chelsea. Beat Mourinho, Ancelotti, Guardiola, Zidane, Klopp, Allegri, Conte. Like, the guy was a winner here. But unfortunately, ownership has a different vision. And I also felt like that if Chelsea continued to lose, play like they did against Zagreb, they would have fired him anyway. And it the way he was so loved after Frank Lampard left, like I didn't think it would happen. And but here we are, new man, new owners. You know they new owners, they new era. And Graham Potter's likely coming in. So thank you, Tuchel. Thanks for the Champions League. Thanks for the trophies. And I'm sure he'll be back on his feet in no time. Some top club will hire him. He's gonna get a job sooner or later. Yeah, no, it's very true. So you you mentioned that game against Degree, but there was also the one against West Ham. How about we talk about those and uh, kind of what led to this moment? Yeah, um, that game against West Ham, they didn't deserve to win. And I don't think that was a foul at the end. So Chelsea got lucky. Yeah. And I one other fault on what I have for Tuchel is the way he treated Christian Pulisic. Like, he barely plays him. He doesn't trust him. But when he does play him, it's like when they're down to really late. And... When or when it's too late to win the game, so it's. I mean, it's sad to see Tuchel's Chelsea ta- time at Chelsea end like this because I thought he'd be the guy to last more than three years. So, but he's got memories that'll last a lifetime, and he'll be back. Definitely, he will be back. He's gonna, yeah, he won't be out of a job for that long. I just don't see him being in England right now. No, nah, he'll probably go to some other country. And who would have thought Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard would have outlasted him? Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, with everything going on, Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. And he looks like to be the next to give, to be given the boot if Lester don't pick it up. Yeah, he is, his uh, press conferences are getting a little bit testy. And according to um, this guy named Miguel Delaney, Tuchel's ideas were no longer transmitting with the Chelsea squad. Some of the players have been talking about Tuchel's private life and how he had a younger girlfriend as his marriage fell apart. Oh, really? Yeah, so yeah. I assume, so it looks like he did lose the room. So we're getting into soap opera territory now. Yeah, so I get, I guess, I, I feel like a lot of Chelsea managers' careers, like the time of Chelsea ends with soap operas, like losing the room. Happened with Mourinho, Conte, Lampard, and sorry. Potter is going to be an interesting yeah. manager if they bring him in. He is an attacking guy. He is, he's expressive. But other than that, you never hear about him off the pitch. Now, that could be just because he's managing Brighton, and we don't follow Brighton as closely when it comes as to people in Brighton do. Really. But he does seem to be just a generally likable guy. And yeah, not like uh, a guy who is larger than life. That's going to be interesting for Chelsea. And either it's going to work in his favor or they're going to eat him alive. Yeah. And I feel like this new ownership group is going to be as ruthless, if not even more ruthless than Roman Abramovich. Yeah. I don't know. only uh, loves to win. You know what? I hope Potter uh, all the, the luck in the world, but not, well, not all the luck in the world, uh, so long as he finishes uh, below Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like this is going to be a project with Potter. It'll take time. Yes. And for Tuchel, I mean, I'm sad to see him go. because, And I think he deserved better than this. 
Like, he, de he deserved a better squad. He deserved better than Lakaka. But you guys so, had the money. I mean, just look at what you spent. Yeah, I had the money. He, but, again, his attacking philosophy. Just pass, 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 final third fails. I just have a feeling he should have spent more time on a striker, a long-term solution, rather than an aging Aubameyang, nothing against him. Like, they should have gone after, I know Nkunku would have been expensive, but I'm sure there would have been someone out there who had potential, like Jonathan David, Alexander Isak. Should have gone after a young striker that could help long-term. Isak would have been a good guy to go after. Yeah, I wanted him. Yeah. So, but Isak is at Newcastle. So, it's, that's the end of the Tuchel era, and it looks like the Grand Potter era will begin in a few days, and Chelsea go to their neighbors in Fulham on Saturday. So, Deutsche, Danke Deutsche Maestro, and all the best. So, for Tottenham, under Antonio Conte, they beat Fulham 2-1. to one. Yeah, they still are kind of moving on, and this is... You could argue that the first few games of the season, even though they were getting wins and getting draws, Tottenham wasn't playing up to their potential. The win against Fulham 2-1, it almost felt like they were snake-bitten a bit. This game could have ended 6-1. to I mean, it was the amount of play, the attractive play, the amount of chances that Tottenham had. This was a much better game uh, that uh, they had. Uh, just to give you an idea... 23 shots, 10 of them were on target. Um, you have players like Sun, who had four shots on target, had one goal chalked off due to an offside, hit hit another post. You had uh, goals coming from uh, not only Harry Kane, but Pierre-Emerick uh, Hjoiberg, who's already got his second of the season. It was a much better showing for Tottenham, and it felt like they should have had a whole lot more in this game. But coming up against uh, Bernard Lino, he just he played very very well uh finally getting away from arsenal and uh getting to get uh, between the sticks again it was um also a first game for a couple of players or first starts for a couple of players in richarlson and in uh clementa lunglay having yeah. lunglay uh on that back line you see how good he is with his feet on the ball he is a calm presence there which is really, really interesting in contrast to Eric Dyer and uh, Christian Romero, who are very, very aggressive and almost hot-headed uh, center backs. Having Longley there, it's, uh, I don't know, I see him as, if that one game is any indication, I'm hoping that that loan kind of uh, looks a little bit more permanent towards the end of the season. Again, it's only one game. I'm not going to judge him on it. But I was very, very happy to see that calm presence. And I see him fitting in very, very well into that role when Ben Davies can't play that role. Right now, I would be happy if either of either of those players plays on the, the left side of the back line. Richarlson, again, you know, he's up to his uh, antagonizing ways. Uh, ended up with a, an assist on, uh, on the game. And uh, yeah, as far as a first start... He showed exactly what he was able to do. He was the man of the match. Uh, he, he he creates as much with his feet with what he does with his mouth. So I was very, very happy to see him uh, get that. And right now, Tottenham is only one of two teams that is undefeated in the league. That other team is Manchester City, and they face Manchester City this weekend. So it's going to be a very, should very be a cracker, as they say. Sorry? Yeah. Should, be, should be a cracker, as they say. Yeah, and it should have been at least 6 nothing against Fulham. Fulham yeah, it really, really should have. And the thing is, is you take a look at about this time last season, Tottenham faced Manchester City and beat them. So, yeah. you know, it happened. In fact, I think Tottenham did, uh, did the double in City last year. Yeah, they did. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah very, very possible. I'm very, very happy with the season is going so far. I'm very, very happy with the players that are starting to move in. And I just, I don't know, my, I feel for Son. Son, he's playing with frustration. He had a good game on the weekend. He had a good game. It's it's a shame his goal got chalked off. Yes, it was offside, so let's just put that to rest. But it's just a matter of time for him, and it will happen. 
So I'm uh, hoping it happens sooner than later because I think that would just be a huge weight off his back. Other than that, um, we've got our first game actually happening today in the Champions League. Group stage game uh, against Marseille. Uh, and it's kind of funny. I don't know if you saw the tweet that uh, Tottenham put out earlier in the... I think it was yesterday or the day before. They had a, a picture from Pitch View of Tottenham Hotspur Way with uh, a water bottle that had the uh, the Spurs logo saying, soon, right? It's soon we're going to be in the, in the Champions League. Soon we're playing on the pitch. But... It was a bottle. And yeah, when it comes bottle. to big competitions and the league and what is Tottenham sometimes known for? Bottling. It's the Bottling it's it. poetic. Let's say that uh, tweet was pulled a few hours later. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny that, uh, yeah, even Tottenham has the ability to uh, troll themselves. Uh, one of the good uh, piece of news when it comes to the Champions League is Ben Davies finally – this is years and years and years too late, but he's finally been ruled to be considered an association-trained player because when he did his youth and academy playing, it was at a Welsh club that was playing in an English league. So he is no longer going to be listed as an international player when it comes to European football, like the Champions League, on the Spurs squad. It now means that Tottenham is able to register a full 25-player squad, rather than having to leave one spot empty. Uh, this is something that should have been done a long time ago. I mean, he's Welsh. He played for a team that was playing in an English league. Uh, I just It didn't make sense to begin. Uh, this comes later on in his career, but at least it has been done. So that's going to be really, really good for them going forward because it gives them more options on that back line when it comes to uh, European football. It's not, only, it's not only going to have to be Longley in there. They have options. Yeah, it's good to have options. Yeah. Talking about the back line, Eric Dyer is uh, being considered for another call-up for the England national team. And I think I've talked about this more than a few times on this show, that this is something that should happen. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Eric Dyer. Uh, yeah. I like his style of play. I like what he does in the middle of marshalling that back line. So I hope that it does happen, and I hope he does get picked. Other than that, when it comes to Tottenham, the only other information or news coming out has to do with the academy. Dane Scarlett, who is a, a great striker, he was on the bench for a few times last year. He is with Portsmouth right now in League One, and he has been doing exceptional for them. I think uh, in their start of the season, he's already got himself three goals and a handful of assists. Uh, you've already got a lot of people in Portsmouth that uh, are almost having uh, inner turmoils of falling in love with a player who they know is on loan and know will be leaving. But I, I said it last year, Dane Scarlett, in my mind, is the eventual uh, deputy and replacement for Harry Kane when Harry Kane retires. I'm happy to see him do really, really well on loan and uh, wish him all the best. Other than that, uh, Elfie Devine has signed a new contract until the end of 2027. Again, another player that is rated really, really highly on the Spurs squad. So it's nice to have him locked up here for the next five years. Yeah, good for them. Good to have a future plan. And other than the West Ham Chelsea game, it's been a terrible weekend for VAR. Yeah. Jesse Marsh was sent off in the Leeds Brentford game after two penalties were denied. Eddie Howell lamented a goal called offside in the Newcastle Crystal Palace game. And apparently, VAR called to turn over handball in the box in the Nottingham Forest Bournemouth match. And the referee disagreed with VAR, but only, but that the only call that occurred on the weekend. Yeah, that was the only one where the referee actually kind of stuck to his guns and said, "No, I'm gonna. This is the right call." And you know what? To his credit, it was. You can also throw in the uh, that West Ham goal uh, and the foul on Mendy uh, into all this. Now the thing yeah. is, is, is uh, the referee association has come out and they haven't really apologized, but they basically just said, "Mia culpa. Yes, you're right." Um, Lee Mason, who uh, was doing the VAR for that Nottingham Forest Bournemouth match, has been dropped from VAR for this upcoming week. But other than that, nothing else has really happened. Jesse Marsh, uh, after not getting two pretty pretty decent penalty shouts, he's actually been fined for his comments. So, yep. yeah, I don't know. And it's kind of funny because it started up the conversation again with... Uh, with a VAR. And I think it, what was it? Was it Alan uh, Pulisic? 
or uh, not uh, Poulos. I think yeah. he was the one who was talking where he said, it's not the fault of VAR. VAR is a camera. That's it. It's the people handling it. It's the people handling it. And if they can't figure it out, what is wrong? And he actually talked about how when it comes to soccer, they were they seem to be the only sport that can't figure it out. And on top of that, it seems like the English Premier League is the only league that can't figure it out. In general, when you look at VAR, other leagues around the world, yeah, there's grumblings here and there, but by and large, calls happen and calls are correct. I don't know what's going on with England. They've yeah. never been able to figure out what the formula is. And I don't know if it's because they believe in some sort of elitist behavior that they don't need to look at what other leagues are doing and they just do their own thing. Or it's just that it's the people at the helm just not implementing it properly. Yeah, it's just incompetency at the helm. Like if you want to use VAR, you have to use, be consistent with it. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, VAR is a part of all sports. That's just it. If you're not using VAR, you're archaic, right? You haven't right. figured this out yet. The fact that they haven't figured out how to do it effectively just shows inconsistently. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. VAR is not, you know, 100% foolproof. It will fail, but it shouldn't fail to the amount that it's failing like week in, week out in England. Right. So. I don't know. My two cents. Yeah. It's just like there are people behind it. It's just they're being incompetent. It's not consistent. It's not the system. It's the people. Handling VAR. That's really on top of that. You need more referees, like the referee that was in the Nottingham Forest Bournemouth match, who can go to the screen and still say, "No VAR, you're wrong. I'm sticking with my call." You need yeah. you need manager or sorry, you need referees that are willing to to stick to those convictions, but also admit the mistake if it happens. That's what it's there for, right? right. Referees don't get to see everything on the pitch. Things happen very very fast. Calls can be incorrect on the pitch. I totally understand that. That's what VAR is for is to give that sober second look. And if it's not working, I don't know. I don't know. What are you doing with it? It's not working. Yeah. So, uh, Juventus fans at PSG, PSG beat Juventus two to one yesterday. Mbappe Neymar's chemistry is back, especially that first goal was just nice. U S international Weston McKinney scored. But Juvent- the way Juventus fans taunted players with monkey chants and Nazi salutes. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the uh, the videos that were going around uh, on social media. I, I mean, this is as blatant as you can get. And it's being directed to the PSG bench and, you know, obviously uh, players on that bench. <sighs> the camera... The, the faces are easy to see of who's doing this. And I mean, some of these Nazi salutes are just going back and forth. I mean, we're seeing, you know, 20 different salutes mm-hmm. from just one individual alone, things like that. These are individuals that need to be banned for life. These are individuals that need to be referred to uh, to courts of those countries. But right. uh, yeah, I'm hoping that something happens and I'm hoping that something happens uh, quick. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet, but I hope something happens soon with that because these fans do not deserve to watch football again we can't believe we're still having this racism in 2022 at football matches yeah and they should and the club needs to do something about it too the club needs to do something about it too and unfortunately uh this isn't just a problem at juventus this is a problem in italian football yeah we talked about ultras when it comes to lazio and what happens there uh napoli i mean this uh, this is and we shouldn't just uh say just Italian football. This happens in numerous leagues throughout throughout Europe. Yeah. Look no further than the Premier League. Yeah. Time. Or it happens everywhere. And unfortunately it's not going away, but we can prevent it from prevent try to prevent these incidents from happening. So Absolutely. One final note, another Champions League game I note defending champions Real Madrid beat Celtic at Celtic Park 3-0, and it was good to see he didn't Hazard score a goal. Of all he's been through, it's good to see him score a goal and actually play for once. Yeah, I mean, this is a player that I think has had a, a very hard time uh, with his uh, stint with uh, Real Madrid. Uh, he's never really seemed to get going, but uh, it's, uh, I mean, Real Madrid, it's kind of funny because Carlo Ancelotti said he's very happy 
being looked at as the underdog. I don't see Real Madrid as an underdog. I no, mean, I again, they're the doing phenomenal in their league. They're top in the league. You know, they're defending. They're they're one of the top teams in the world. I don't understand how he looks at them as an underdog. But uh, hey, uh, Celtic is a, a team that they should be beaten rather handedly. They did, and for them, it's just on to the next. Yeah, and again, Freedon Hazard, good for him. I just hope that again, I keep saying this, but I hope that he goes on some kind of run. It'll be. More or less, like, doesn't have to be as good as he was at Chelsea, but just show glimpses of that form. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and fortunately, because Real Madrid was his dream and it hasn't gone the way he had hoped since signing there in 2019. So that'll conclude this week's episode of Terminal City FC. Hope you enjoyed it. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify and all that. Follow me on Twitter at Josh391. Nathan is at Nurik. Podcast is at Terminal City FC. Check out the Facebook and Instagram pages. And any final thoughts, Nathan? Uh, kind of an interesting just piece of news that just came out. Uh, one of the Premier League games between Brighton and Crystal Palace on September 17th is going to be postponed right now because of a planned rail strike that's going to be happening uh, in and around that area. So uh, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. And again, I still haven't processed the Tuchel news, (laughs) and I just still feel that Tuchel deserved more time. I agree with you on that. So, again, you, you... Spend two hundred million for the guy, and then you fire him. Not even like less than a month into the season. Huh. But anyway, that concludes this week's episode. Peace out. Take care.